those of you that know me will will under, not understand this statement, but I'm not used to these things, and they kind of scare me. But anyway, okay, Philippians one, twelve through thirty. Where are we at here? Okay. Um, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole place, excuse me, the whole palace guard, and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The later do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this, I rejoice. Yes, I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in this body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet, what will I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is better by far. But it's more necessary for me to remain, for you that I remain in my body, convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you, and again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, then whether I come to see you or hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Thanks, buddy. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. Did... Um, that's alive and powerful. We ask you would speak to us today. Holy Spirit, we take the word of God and we believe that you um, are our ultimate teacher. You comfort our heart with truth. Sometimes you convict us with things that are happening. We just say uh, that you would have your work in this place. So Father, we, we thank you. And uh, while I'm praying, I also want to lift up uh, Jonah and Luke this morning and all the kids that are up racing their bikes uh, right now. Uh, Lord, we ask that you would keep them safe today, that they would have so much fun, and um, that this, this life of being a Jesus follower in our lives, uh, proclaiming truths that are bigger than ourselves, that doesn't start when you become a, an adult. That happens from... Uh, from the youngest of age. So those, those boys and along with many others are up racing and, uh, and um, using what you've given them uh, to shed light on your goodness. Would you keep all those kids safe? Thank you for all the volunteers um, that are up there as well. So Lord, we lift up the rest of this time 
and we ask that uh, you would teach us some cool stuff. In Jesus' name, everybody said. Amen. Amen. Good morning. We got some fans going today because um, in our lovely old building that we love and we're so grateful for, there's a couple things that are true. It's hot in the summer in here and it's cold in the winter, but it's always dry, and uh, we're so thankful for this place. It's always dry unless it's raining sideways and you're in that back room, then it's a little wet. Thank you to Dave for reading those, uh, that passage to us. Long passage. Just to let you know, he just read like 15 verses, a big chunk of a chapter. And um, sometimes for those of us personally, we think about reading and you look at a scripture that long, and you're like, oh, that's so long. And you read it and it takes like a minute. It's really not that long. I had him read the whole thing because we want to be reminded that this, what we're reading, is a letter. Down a little bit. A brilliantly written letter. For those of you that are new to some of the New Testament, especially to some of this guy's writings, the Apostle Paul, he's like a preacher's preacher. You know why? He's really long-winded. Speaking of long-winded... Um, and a couple of the looks that I'm getting right now from people that I'm like, why are they looking at me like that? I had two disclaimers from my family before I came up here. One was this. Steph said, smile a lot. Because yesterday I was told by one of Jonah's friends, your dad is really intimidating. Um, and the second was from Ollie, and he said, what did he say? Make sure to tell everyone that uh, you're joking and not serious or something like that. So yes, this is so I don't take myself too seriously, and maybe so that you wouldn't take me too seriously either, but uh, it's just a little bit of fun, so it's all good. Philippians, it is a letter. It is a brilliantly written letter. It just requires a little bit of digging. Like any letter, and any well-written letter, there's a few parts to it. You have an introduction or a beginning. Remember English class? in whatever grade it is where you learn about letters, fourth grade, third grade, something. It's got an intro. It has a body or a middle to it. It has a conclusion. And this letter even has a PS at the end. So if you're reading Philippians on your own, kind of the last part of the last chapter is a PS. Oh, by the way, he's moving in a direction. Everything we're talking about this morning is moving toward a direction where he's going to make some summary statements. We'll put them up on the screen, but these are a couple of the summary state statements that Paul's going to make at the end of the letter. One of them is this. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And another one is, so that's for him. He's talking about himself. And then another one is for the church at Philippi that he's writing to from house arrest in Rome so it has to have, be sent and takes forever to get there. But he's writing to them, a place he had been about 12 years before. Then he's saying this, And my God, who, who I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, and this same God who is doing this in me, shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Jesus Christ. Now to God, now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. He's moving towards these summary things. So it's like these, therefore, because of all this, I can do all things. And because of all this, God will never leave you. He's going to continue to do these things in your life as well. This morning, we're going to get into the content of Paul's letter. Last week was an introduction. We talked about the power of partnership. The fact that I was talking to someone this last week, there's what's known as a high-trust environment and a low-trust environment. If you work with people or you're in community with people in a low-trust environment, you're always having to make sure you say things and do things exactly. You're walking on eggshells because every, a lot of stuff you say gets twisted and, and what you say is not what's being heard. In a high-trust environment, people hear your heart, not your words. Or they, hear your, they strive to hear your heart more than your words. That's our heart for our church staff and the people that we're working together as a high-trust environment. 
Paul had a high trust environment. Why? They were walking in the same direction. They were partners in God's grace. It wasn't based on them. It was based on what God has done in their life. Since God has done all of this, the words I use is, we play, I want to play the long game with someone else. Why? Because God plays the long game with me. That's God's grace. Legalism keeps score. Ooh, bad. One for the devil. Ooh, good. One for you. It's not really for Jesus. It's for you because that's legalism. We're, we're grading ourselves. Jesus doesn't grade. That's what grace is. Doesn't keep score. He has a high trust environment with this group of people. Why? Because they're con like power of partnership. They share in God's grace. They share in the hope that they have that's an anchor for their soul. And they're walking in the same direction. So because of that, he's going to get into the content of the letter this morning. He starts off by talking about the obvious. His imprisonment. In our text this morning, what Paul is doing is he's talking about his imprisonment. He's going to state two good things and one bad thing about being, about all the stuff that's going on with him. He does a lot of this with me, with you, with me, with you. He cares about these people. He's using his own circumstances to communicate some truth to them. So we're going to do two good things and one bad. And like anything, when there's bad involved, we're going to put it in the middle. If you ever have to have a tough conversation with someone at work, they say, do a compliment sandwich. Say a good thing, then blast them, and then hug them. Say hi, punch them in the face, and then hug them. Uh, we're going to do uh, a sandwich. One good, one bad, one good. The title of our message this morning is The Power of Chains. Can we look again at verse 12? It says this, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, so he's moving into the content of his letter, know what? That what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result of his imprisonment, it has become clear that throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Verse 14, and because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. So the first thing, the power of his chains, the first thing, the good thing is this. His chains were a catalyst for others. His chains had become a catalyst for others. He wanted them to know a couple of things. One of them, that God's blessing and power were still with him. He wasn't out of God's will in jail. God wasn't done with him. Even though he was in prison, God was still with him. He was not out of the will of God. His chains, his hardships did not take him out of the will of God. They put him right where he was supposed to be. As a matter of fact, I'm sure as he was sitting there thinking about them, he couldn't help but think about another time he was in jail because of these, uh, it was actually in Philippi. I don't have it up on the screen because I think it would be cool for you to go look at on your own, but if you have your Bible with you or the ability to, um, flip over to the book of Acts chapter 16. Let me read you guys something real quick. So Acts chapter 16, it is an account of Paul's second missionary journey and like the historical account, the historical account of planting the church in Philippi, the people that were involved and all that happened. So that's Acts 16. But it tells us in Acts 16... Starting in verse 16, once when we, so we, uh, Acts was written by Luke. Luke was with Paul. Um, actually, just before this is when Acts turns from him and they to us and we. Paul obviously, or Luke obviously joins the missionary trip at this time. So Luke, who wrote the book of Luke, also wrote Acts. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. 
She earned a great deal of money for her owners, not for herself, by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, these, men's are these men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed. You know, even like the most holy people can only take <laughs> so much. And another side note, it's oftentimes, just for those of you that are aware of spiritual realm, oftentimes the demonic realm acts like this. They'll speak truth, but it's in a tone that is not which meant in which to give glory to God. But the Bible says that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. We'll talk about that in the next couple of weeks. But that demons believe and shudder. And Paul becomes so annoyed, he was like, look, he didn't need help doing what he was called to do. So he, he turned to her and he said, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her, not speaking to her, but to the demonic spirit. At that moment, the spirit left her. Wow, miraculous. That's so cool. Not cool for everyone. When her owners realized that what? Their hope of exploiting this young girl, that their hope of making money on her because of her was gone, they were up in arms about it. They started spreading rumors that these people were coming against their traditions and customs. They were thrown in jail. They weren't just thrown in jail. They were beaten to within an inch of their life. And then they were thrown in jail. Skip down to verse 25. Um, let's see, verse 23. After they, had been beaten, after they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison. And the jailer, inter uh, person, the jailer, remember him, was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks, not just their hands. When he was told maximum security, he did maximum security. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. Whoo, this will preach by itself. The jailer woke up. And when he saw the prison doors open, he drew a sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked, sir, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. He's like, for you and anyone else who believes in the Lord Jesus, you will be saved. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others at his house. Then it says the jailer took him, took him home, and then the jailer that inflicted all those stripes on them cleaned him personally. Sat him around his table with his family. And the men that were in the dungeon were now at his dining room. They become the guests of honor. And people in his family see this. Everyone, and there's a miraculous moment. Everyone gives their life to Jesus. And then the church was added one new family. Blue collar guy and his family that wasn't a believer, didn't grow up in the church. He was a Roman soldier. He actually had a, almost a failed suicide attempt that night because if people in his position... If you had a prisoner that escaped on your watch, you were going to be given the charges that that person was going to get. So he was going to die anyways. Honor, shame, culture, he was going to kill himself. Now all of a sudden the church is granted. Paul is in jail again thinking about the Philippians where this happened. He's thinking back like I wouldn't even have met that guy in his family had I had not been in chains before. And now he's in chains again, and he's thinking about them, and he's writing them. And he was like, I want you guys to know again, as I sit here, 
that just like when I was with you, these chains that I'm in, God is using them. Everybody around me knows that I'm here because of Jesus, just like the jailer did when I was there. And actually, it's encouraging people to be who they are. Think about this with my own kids. Parents, I'm sure you think about this all the time. If you don't, this is a, maybe you will. When I get hurt, I was riding a, a last year, or the year before. I was with Jonah, and we were up on this trail. And this trail comes out of the woods. I think, were you there, Elliot? And we come out of the woods, and this trail goes through a ditch on the side of a road. Then you come up onto a road, and it was raining, super wet and slippery outside. And sometimes once you commit to a line, it's too late to stop, so you got to commit to it. And I committed, and my bike went like this, and I went like this, and I dropped about 12 feet and just got wadded up into a ditch. It knocked the wind out of me. Were you there? It knocked the wind out of me, and I remember I got up my first thing because Jonah... When you're a kid and you watch your dad get <laughs> worked, it's hard. You're like, oh, my gosh, are you? And I was like, I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm okay. But I couldn't breathe. I almost threw up because when my adrenaline kicks in, I, you know, I, I'm like, I just need a minute. I was like, don't touch me. Don't talk to me. Just leave me alone. I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm okay. And Jonah was sitting there. And even as I was saying it, I was like, dude, you're freaking him out even more. All I wanted him to know was that I was okay. It's like we, as parents, will bear the weight of something so our kids don't have to go through it. That's the heart of what's going on here. I want you to know I'm okay. I know you care about me. We'll see. I want you to know I'm okay. As a matter of fact, here's some of the stuff that's happening. My chains are actually, let me tell you about the power of these things. And a side note, when Paul and Silas were in jail in Acts, and it says they were, I always think about like a kid's Bible and what we think this might look like. At midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. If you have your Bible open, it would be cool to circle that. I'd like you to think about it. If you had just been beaten treated so shamefully nobody cares about you they throw you in jail this could be it for you you're in so much pain you can even lift your head up and yet we think that they were like yes this is awesome we're in jail for Jesus um, I just don't think that's the case I think they were sad I think they were really hurting I think there was some confusion it's not to say that we don't trust God that he's going to work all things for good, but when you're in chains, beaten, taken advantage of, and you're in that place, your prayers and your hymns and singing, they sound different. They sound like the song you're singing when you're going through something and you can't get it out of your head, and every time you play it, you start to cry. And it's just the song that sees, sees you through. There are the prayers that are like, God, I don't know what you're doing, but I trust you. That's what this looks like. It's not like we're superhuman. It's like this is super hard. Those are the prayers that God heard. Those are the hymns. It's hard to sing when it hurts. But those are the ones that change you from the inside out. As a matter of fact, it changed the whole room. It changed the guard. It changed the prisoners. The doors were open. These were the type of prayers that shook the world around them. I just want to let you know, it doesn't, you don't have to pretend the hard thing isn't there. You just have to believe that God is working the hard thing for something good. That's what Paul started out with. The way we go through hardships point to what we're looking to for refuge. We kind of live in a culture that our refuge from hardship is just to get out of them. I'm just going through this thing and I just want it to be over. And sometimes I think we need to be reminded 
that we're going through this hard thing and Jesus just wants us to look at him. There's something that he can do in the hardship that won't happen outside of it. Also, while he was in prison, he wrote Philippians, and we're looking at it. How cool is that? He also wrote Ephesians. He also wrote Colossians. And this wasn't the last time he was going to be in jail. He actually gets released, goes back to jail again, then he dies. His chains encouraged others to be strong. There are things that happen in our hardest times that bring change in our lives that wouldn't, that would not otherwise happen. I think that's worth just remembering. There are things that happen in the hardships of your life that without the hardships would not otherwise happen. It doesn't mean that it's going to be easy. It doesn't mean that you're going to understand everything. It just means that there is a power to the chains we face, the imprisonments, the tough questions we have to ask. How many people have asked tough questions about their own life in the past few years? Let me tell you, more than a lot of years before. And everyone who has asked these tough questions and asked Jesus to answer them is better for it, I promise you. Let's look at the, the hard thing. Two good, one bad. Let's do the bad sandwich. Here we go. Verse 15. It is true, Paul says, talking about being in his chains, that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love. They know that I am here, knowing that I am here, put here. Notice he says, put here. For the defense of the gospel. The former, the other ones, they preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely. Supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in my chains. The second thing, the power of chains, is they can be exploited by others. Okay, man. Bye, but I have a mustache to counteract my bald head, so we're good. His chains were exploited by others. Oh, what an example. You know, when you put yourself out there and God is doing something in your life, others can be encouraged, but did you know that others can talk smack? You know how many people had something to say about Paul's imprisonment that was untrue? And did you know that one of the things that I think is raddest about Paul is he kept, this is going to rhyme, and I don't mean for it to, he kept his eye on the ball. Paul kept his eye on the ball. We should write that down. It meaning that even though people were doing this, God was working so much in his life and he still wanted to be such a learner that he would rather be filled with God's, more of God's grace than to be mad back and throw darts back. Here's the problem with problems. See, the power of problems is that they can encourage you, they can encourage others, it can change the world. Here's the problem with problems. They hurt. They're exposing. When your life falls apart or something happens, whether it's your fault or not, you're exposed before people who may or may not know the whole story, who may or may not know your heart, who may or may not want your best interests in mind. You're just putting yourself out there for everybody else to say what they want. Marriage is in hardship. Oh, yeah, that's because you quit a job and move to another one. Yeah, they were a bad employee anyways. You're not getting good grades in school. You see what I'm saying? They open you up for people to say what they want. They expose us to ridicule. If you're experiencing that, I just want to say a couple things. Number one, I'm sorry, and I know how it feels. You're not alone. Paul experienced it. 
So much so that I want to have a side point here and talk about this word, ambition. Ambition is good. Paul was ambitious. He wanted to plant churches. He wanted to see people know Jesus. And he gave his whole life for it. As a matter of fact, he was the type of leader that sometimes people are like, yo, Paul's intense. But he was driven. He was ambitious. But you know what he wasn't? Driven by selfish ambition. That's what he's pointing out here. So, ambition, good. Selfish ambition, not good. Ambition, wanting to succeed, good. I want to provide for my family. I want to get a raise. I want to do good. But me wanting that person to do bad so I can do good, selfish ambition. You ever had that friend in school that they, they blew out everyone's candle just so theirs would shine brighter? Making someone else's problems your platform. This is a problem in our world. It's a problem in the church. It's a problem in the heart of humans. Therefore, it's a problem with Christians to Christians. It does not get you where you want to go. This is what is imprisoning. Because you live in this thing where your eyes are never on Jesus when they're always on your competition. Got to do better than this person. And Paul saw it and he read through it. Paul, but he didn't let the haters get to his heart. Why? Because Jesus already ruled there. So I take this as an encouragement that I'm just like, man, when people throw me under the bus, it hurts. I don't like it. This is what I learned from this point. Yeah, problems are hard. Yeah, you got to go through it. Yeah, God can work it. But if God isn't filling my heart, other people's opinions and all of that stuff will. And this is what he said. So his chains were exploited by others. But pick it back up. Verse 18. But who cares, he says. Some are good. Some say it for this. Some are just trying to make the platform out of my problems. They're trying to build their churches based on this. And he goes, but what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, people know Jesus. That's a secure human right there. And because of this, I rejoice. Now, one commentator said something that I think is worth just re-passing out. He's like, notice the content of their message wasn't false, but the motives were false. There, you had to, there was some discernment and reading between the lines that had to take place. The message was good, even true, but the motives only God sees. It's just worth keeping in mind. But what does it matter, he says, the important thing is this, that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this, I rejoice, he says. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, so I know that through your prayers and more of God's Spirit, that what has happened to me will actually turn out for my deliverance. Not from his own hopeful thinking, but from people's prayers and more of God's spirit in his life. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage that not now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Because for me, he says, if I'm going to live, I'm living for Jesus. And if I'm dying... That's even better for me to live as Christ and die as gain. For if I go on living in the body, it will mean fruitful labor, labor for me. But what should I choose? I don't know. I'm torn. I desire to be, to depart and be with Jesus, which is for with Christ, which is far better. That word desire there doesn't mean like, I think it would be cool to go to heaven. It actually is a sailing term of picking up anchor and getting the heck out of port because the captain is being called to sea. This is the Captain Jack Sparrow call of the sea. 
I desire, like I'm ready to set sail. He goes, for me, it's better if I go. But for you, it's better if I stay. Do you feel that way about your life? I'm convinced of this, that I'll remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy. What is the third thing about Paul's chains? It put things into perspective. When you're in a hard place, this is a tough one. We're going to talk about eternity for a minute. Something that in our culture we don't think a lot about. I think a lot of us are thinking about what's the purpose of my life? Where do I find joy? Where do I find commitment or commitment, contentment? Those are good things. But sometimes, and it's not typically in the easy things, it's in the hard things. We start thinking about what is after this? What does it mean to say to live as Christ and to die as gain? What does it mean to truly believe that when Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you and I'll come again and get you? Be confident of this, that where I am, you will be. What does it mean to believe those things? It's those things when someone, when you're, when a family member's sick, or when you're in a hardship and you're just crushed and you're like, is this ever going to end? Am I ever going to get out of this? To really believe that stuff, it puts things into perspective. Because we step out of ourselves and we have to look at our lives from God's point of view. When you're in the middle of something, you're stuck, you can't see all the things. But when you see things from God's point of view, it changes everything. It's a different perspective. Paul saw his life from God's point of view and he was reminded of what's most important. The kingdom of God, to him, the most important thing on earth wasn't his happiness, wasn't his job. It was that he could in introduce people to the person of Jesus. He was all about the kingdom of God. It, it, when he boiled it all down, he's like, if I'm going to keep, if this is it, that's all good. But if I keep going, it's going to be about Jesus. His circumstances showed him where his hope lied. And Paul said this, my safe place is in Jesus. Because whether I go to be with him or I keep going, I know that it's going to turn out for the good because that was where Paul's refuge was. He was saying this, I'm good. I'm in an okay place. That's what a, that's what a refuge is. It's a good, safe stronghold that holds you. And he was like, whether I die or I live, I'm good. That's what he wanted to pass on. And the last thing it reminded him of that put it in perspective. And this is where his letter's going to go starting next week and for the next two weeks because Paul, like he does, he doesn't just conclude a thought. He goes right into the next one. And here's what the perspective did. It gave him a chance, uh, it gave him a chance to not think about his chains, but he's going to turn the whole letter for about a chapter and a half and he's going to focus on Jesus' chains. Because who was it that had people yelling at him from false motives more than any, any person ever had? Jesus. When he was on the cross and people were talking so much smack, and you know what he said? Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. Who was it that their chains was um, the catalyst for others? Paul was like, I'm doing this because of look at what Jesus did. And that's what chapter 2 of Philippians is all about, where you're like, if this stuff is true with you, then let's look at Jesus. And he talks about that. If Paul's chains could do this for others, just imagine what Jesus' chains could do. Paul was saying, I can't do anything in these circumstances, but God can do all things. Because he's good, he wanted to make sure his family was good too. That's why he wrote the letter. Let's finish this up with application, verse 27. 
if you guys have been around for a while, you know that I don't typically go. And now, application, because God's all word is always application, application, application. But he literally is saying some stuff, and now he's going to give application. Look at this. Verse 27, he changes the subject from his chains, from things that are going on, to them. He goes, so whatever happens, you guys, for you, here's how you can apply this. Conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Underline that verse. Don't ever read that verse. Don't ever read that verse again outside of this context of humility and being in chains. Because we read that and we're like, yeah. We get all proudful, prideful for the gospel. I'm going to conduct myself like a, you know, real Christian. Well, this was in response to being in chains and having some people have your back and having some people others. He's saying, so continue to conduct yourselves uh, in a manner worthy of the gospel. He's talking about be, be humble. Look to Jesus. He will see you through. Don't get bitter. Conduct yourself. Carry yourself. This is what I put. I tell myself this, so I'll pass it on to you. When you get down and things are hard, we're told, lift your chin. Get that chin up. So you can't, it's hard to tell yourself that. You need people in your life to tell you that. You got this. Keep going. The way I've kind of said it to myself is, Lift, if you lift your eyes, your chin will follow. Meaning, when I lift my eyes to Jesus and I see things from his, his perspective, my chin naturally follows and I can keep going. That's a, hum, that's a, you can be humble and confident at the same time. I know that God will work this out. And it's not even for me, which is the hard part about chains. Oftentimes it's for others. You'll see here in just a second. All right. Conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel. That's humility. Then whether I come and see you, he did get to see them again, by the way, or hear about you in my absence, I will know that you are standing firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. If you respond this way, it's a sign, he says. It's a sign to them that they're going to be destroyed. There's destruction in their life. They're looking to the wrong things for refuge. They're responding in ways that are outside of, the, outside of God. But in your chains, people will see that God's got your back. And they're going to question in their own life, Does God got, is God with me? Am I with him what is this what is this faith thing all about they're going to have to ask hard questions of themselves as christians we're going to face and experience things a little bit differently than the rest of the world because we don't just simply stand on our own two feet we're tied to jesus yes we struggle but the bible says we struggle with some assurances we don't have to figure it out on our own. God's got it factored in that he's with you. Yeah, the problem with problems is that they're hard. But our growth comes through hardships. Hardships are part of the deal. Verse 29, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but to suffer, but to also suffer for him. Since you are going through the same stuff you hear that I have, or now you're going through the same stuff you saw that I had when I was there, and you hear that I still have. The whole point was he's like, you guys, welcome to the club. I was talking to Jonah the other day about making money. He's working. He's making some dollars. I'm happy for him. Proud of him. And then he had to buy a part for his bike. This tiny little piece of metal that holds, it's a fastener. It holds his brake lever on, and I'm all, that's on you, dude. He goes, we go and get it, and he's like, how much is it? I'm like, I don't know. I'm like, how much money did you bring? 
He's like, I got 10 bucks, I'm off. You might want a few more dollars than that. He goes back in, he grabs a 20. He's like, surely this can't be more than $20. (laughs) We go to the shop, we buy this thing. It comes in a tiny, it's this big, it's just tiny thing. I already know, I'm like, I bet you money it's more than $20 because it's for a bicycle. And And they get it and they ring it up. It's 2150. And he kind of looks at me all. I'm all. Welcome to the club. <laughs> it goes a lot quicker than it took to earn it, doesn't it? That's what Paul is saying. And the way that only an older brother who has a high trust environment can say to someone who is like, people you love, think disciple, student, little brother. It's sort of like, welcome to adulting. It's hard. It's unfair sometimes. But make sure you're looking to the right places because otherwise it'll destroy you. Both now and in a forever kind of sense. He's like, welcome to it. You guys are going through some of the stuff that I've been going through. God's glory is revealed to your hardships. Have you ever heard this saying? Don't question in the dark what God told you in the light. Maybe you haven't heard that before. It's sort of like an encouragement. Hey, when you're in those dark places, don't forget what God told you in the light. And I like that saying. It's cool. And there's truth to it. But I actually think the opposite is more true. When you're in the dark night of the soul places and God meets you there, I want to encourage you today. Don't forget in the light what God speaks to you in the dark. Our growth, not just for us, but for those around us, oftentimes comes from the hardest of circumstances. Those things where you don't know if you're going to make it through and God sees you through and it changes your life. And then all of a sudden, you get a job, make some money, buy Netflix, and you forget about God. This is the story of humanity all through the Bible. Just read First and Second Kings and Second Chronicles. It goes something like this. So-and-so really relied upon the Lord until they got rich and famous. Then they were on their own. Life fell apart. They died, and here comes the next person. Don't forget in the brightness of light and, and, and materialism and all the things, the stuff that God speaks to you or has spoken to you in that hard place where he says, no matter what you do, I got you. The hard part is, is it takes a hard, tough place in life for that to happen. We go through those tough places and we come out saying stuff like, I was never closer to God than I was in that place. And then simultaneously we're like, and I'm going to do whatever it takes to never get back to that place again. It was both awesome and hard. Don't forget in the light what you learn in the dark. I put this in this morning. I'm going to end with this scripture. Because I thought, I was just, actually I was praying through this this morning and this story just, boom, came to mind. And so I was like, well, let's close with a, an illustration, shall we? This illustration or this example is found in John chapter 11. I'm going to kind of buzz through some parts of this chapter real quick. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. Lazarus was Jesus' friend. Lazarus' sisters, Martha and Mary, were Jesus' friends. He stayed with them all the time. And word got to Jesus, Lazarus is sick, like he may die. Jesus says, this sickness will not end in death. No. No. This is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. He's saying, this hardship is not the end of it. I have something I'm going to do through it. So it says Jesus stayed where he was for a couple more days. And Lazarus died when he was gone. 
And Lazarus came back to the town where Mary and Martha and Lazarus was, and Lazarus was dead, and he was in his room. And Martha came up to him, and she goes, Lord, like, what the heck? In the Greek, it doesn't say what the heck, but it says, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Lord, where were you? But I know that God can do a miracle through you. He'll give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And she had faith as much as she could muster in the moment. And she said, I know that he'll rise again on the last day. Like he's passed. He'll be with you. And when you make all things new, I know he'll rise again at the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. And the one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And then he looks to Mary and she goes, do you, or Martha, do you believe this? Yes, Lord. After she had said this, she went, she got Mary. Mary came out. She's like, where, where were you? Jesus says, where's Lazarus? And he goes in, and to make a long story short, this is where Jesus wept. Because he wasn't stoic and cold and distant and like, thus saith the Lord, he came in and he saw what this hardship was doing, how hard death and destruction are for us as broken human beings. And it broke his heart because he suffers when we suffer. And then he says, bring him here. And then he calls Lazarus back from the dead and he comes forth. That was the darkest night in their family's history but it was where God did something in their midst that they would remember forever, and it actually changed the world around them. So let's pray. We're going to sing this last song, and then I'll come up and close us off. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word and for this rad letter and for the encouragement and just the reality that life is hard and we go through stuff that we didn't really sign up for and you kind of sign, sign us up for it. And, and following you, there's like some things that we go 